welcome to Bethlehem Back Chat, where we talk about the background and backstories of our worship and community as Lutherans. I'm Pastor Dan Smale, Senior Pastor here at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Glenshaw. And I'm Wendy Ferrone, a member here at Bethlehem and producer of the podcast. The topic for today is the Sermon on the Mount. So this teaching is found in the book of Matthew, and it's considered one of the most famous of all the teachings of Christ. So I think we should probably start by asking you, Pastor Dan, to give us some background Placing this in historical context, so what led up to this sermon? What was going on at the time? It's actually a really interesting time in Jesus' ministry. It's early on. Okay. It's early on. Not at the very, very beginning, but at a critical point. If you read the text closely, you get the impression that some teaching has been done, disciples have been gathered, and there seems to be enough energy around the movement for Jesus to be able to say, look, now is the time for me to lay out before these people while I have their ear what the content of my ethic is, what the ethic of this new movement or this new way is going to be. And so we get the news in the in the text that he's going to head up the mountain, gather the people around, and speak this word of instruction. To How them. big was this mountain? Actually, I've been to, you know, Israel, to the Middle That's East. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not talking Tetons, so I don't want to give you that kind of impression. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think it is, it's helpful to, to think about uh, because picture in your mind a small hill, not big, not little, okay. sort of in between, but an, an amphitheater oh, style size. Yeah. It, it does okay. make sense. Um, and as a matter of fact, one of the tour guys that we had there said to us, it's interesting to hear in the text that Jesus went up the mountain to teach because in that culture, in that amphitheater culture, it would have made more sense for him to tell the people to go up the mountain and he would have stayed at the bottom and spoke to them so that everybody could have heard them. Oh, okay. Yeah, so little, I mean, and there's can, no speakers and way. amplifiers. There's, there's nothing there to amplify his voice other than just him talking. Exactly. So exactly. They had to use the natural landscape. Yes. But... Which is which, I don't know. Whether he was at the bottom of the hill or the top of the hill, I'm not sure. The the bottom line is he had to have had a decent gathering of people for them to frame it in that way in the text. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what was going on that that he was, how far away from crucifixion was he? That he had this, had to depart this information. It was like a really important for him to get this message out. Yeah, he, I mean, we're talking chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, right? So there's a little while yet. I mean, this this is not, you know, he's not going to enter into Jerusalem the next day. Uh, This is not his party shot by any stretch of the imagination. It really is, and I I hesitate to say like inaugural, because it wasn't right at the beginning. But again, enough to give the folks a sense of what to expect for the rest of his teaching and his ministry. All right, so it does cover um, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Correct. And it's really long. It, it, well, <laughs> it's long. Yeah, it's not short. Like, I don't know if it's <laughs> three chapters, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot there for sure. So, how long do you suppose it took him to, to present that? Well, it's interesting you asked that because I actually I did some, I did this, some research on this. Okay. So, I took one of my sermons and looked at the space it would take up in a manuscript. And then saw how long that particular sermon would be. So I took this particular text, pulled it out, copied it, pasted it, put it in the same font, the same spacing. Best guess, I would say a little over a half hour. If you're standing up, 
in front of this group of people. You got to take a breath. You got to pause. Sure. You may, you know, have some dramatic flourish at some point or other. But my best guess would be a little over a half hour. That's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Well, it's not. And so think about it. If if you sat down and you opened up your Bible to Matthew 5 and you started reading, would it take you two hours? Oh, I suppose you're right. Yeah. yeah so For some you, reason, I was thinking this thing was so long, we were going to have to bring in lunch. But it does, <laughs> now, to your point, to your point, it does seem long yeah. because it it's not like a comedy routine where like one joke naturally transitions into another. This, sure. this, he lays something out and it takes your breath away and he's, maybe he's going on to the next thing, but it does seem so long because you got to take some time to unpack and decompress what he's saying. Cause it's significant. Yeah. This is not light material. So I can see why you might think it's a little I'm longer. Not, I'm not sure we understood how, or I understood how, impactful this was I mean, every word and every phrase has impact yes it has impact for us and i think we can't lose sight of how much impact it would have had for the people that were listening especially especially for the faithful jewish folks that would have been listening because this is the fulfillment of the law there are several places in here where jesus has said you know you have heard it said but i am telling you and what he is doing is reframing the sacred law that these people would have known, right? Right. From their birth. This is what they were taught. This was their sacred tradition. This is what they held to be true. This was the foundation of their religious life. So why didn't they reject it? Well, I think some did probably, to be perfectly honest with you. But think about it. You know, it's mind-blowing just to hear the words, but think about it for us. A minister, a teacher, even somebody with some influence would stand up on a Sunday morning, uh, in a Sunday school class, or in a church service during the sermon, and say, you have heard the Lord's Prayer before, but now I am telling you this is how to pray. Imagine the effect that that would have upon you. Oh, I'd question everything. So, so, yeah, so this is a big, really big deal. It is. Yes. Wow. But but Jesus had to, I think. I mean, Jesus had to... um, fulfill the law, bring it to completion. And we'll probably touch on that later, but there's, there's a reason behind all I'm this. I'm going to ask you okay. this too. Okay. This, the word fulfill mm-hmm. it seems weird to me because when you fulfill a task or fulfill um, an obligation, you finish it. Correct. Done. Mm-hmm. But we still maintain the law. How, how do we, we still follow the Ten Commandments, right? Yes, Absolutely. And he says that clearly, I have not come to abolish the law. How do you fulfill a law? For us, in our works, righteousness, minds, mm-hmm. we just want to check it off. Yeah. Right? That's not enough. Well, that's what I thought fulfill means. Like, you did it. No. Done. The, a better translation would be to bring it to completion. Bring it to completion. So, think about Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. And he's up on the cross, and there's this haunting line during the crucifixion. He says, it is finished. Yes. Right? Yes. Now, what does he mean by that? Does he mean he's done? No. It's exactly (laughs) right. So to bring something to fulfillment is to give it its fullest expression. It doesn't mean that we're done with it. That makes sense. Yes. It doesn't mean that we can sort of check it off and, oh, I got this. No, no. As a matter of fact, if anything, it's drawn you in more completely. I think Jesus understands very, very clearly that there are are some folks within the religious establishment that feel like they have the law on lockdown. 
they know it, they've memorized it, they've washed all the pots and the kettles. I mean, he says so uh, at different points in, in the New Testament. Sure. Um, but he's trying to get the folks to understand that it has to be deeper than that. It can't just be the fulfillment of a task. It has to be a, a lifestyle that affects your life. The way you live, the way you view other people. See, if you wash your pots and you're still looking around and calling everybody a jerk, that's not good enough for Jesus. So <laughs> yeah. this is the kind of thing, right, that he wants to get to in his ministry. Uh, and in fact, has to for the people of God to come not only to a deeper understanding of the divine, but also to have a more intentional life of discipleship that's, that's truly rooted in, in God. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. That that fulfillment thing always bugged me, so I'm glad we talked about no, it. No, it's good. That's what we're here for. <laughs> I'm glad we talked yes. about it. All right. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John um, question, because we brought up Matthew. Yeah. Um, it's called canonical yeah, yeah, yeah. gospels. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm not sure I understand. I know synoptic gospels are the first three. Correct. Matthew, Mark, Luke, because John's a little... Different. Different. Yeah, he's out there on his own. Okay. Yeah. All right. What does canonical mean? Actually, this is a great question. This comes up a lot in conversations because um, people will say, well, this is a part of the canonical scriptures and this is extra biblical or deuterocanonical. And folks are like, oh, Pastor, what? exactly. What is all this business? <laughs> this is a great question. But the, the canonical gospels really are the, the gospels that the early church agreed upon to be authoritative. Oh, the canon. Yes, well, that's a great. Why call it that? Well, because it's not as fun. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you mean you have to throw a couple extra syllables <laughs> in there just to make yourself look good? Don't take everything away from us, Wendy. Okay, okay, okay. fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, no, so it, that's exactly right. So these are there's a certain amount of agreement between these these particular pieces of scripture, right. consistency, coherence, and so the early church fathers were able to say this really is the authoritative work that we want the people to have. Now, sadly, I think oftentimes folks will say, well, see, oh, well, this was all concocted. This was constructed. And I don't necessarily think that that's entirely the case. We also want to say that the canonical scriptures were inspired. So the the text that the Spirit wants us to have in our hands, mm-hmm. I would say, we have in our hands. That's right. God yeah. breathe. Exactly. Yeah. So this is not just some, oh, let's do this one. Hey, how about this one? No, and this or this one. No, no. This was a very intentional, spiritual effort to pull together the pieces of Scripture that would best bless the people of God. This was not something that was taken lightly. Wow. Yeah. And you know, be- so that's why your question it really is a, oh, a very, very good one. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to out myself. That's okay. I, I didn't realize until I started studying the Bible when I came here to Bethlehem that the first four books were talking about the same story. Okay. That's okay. I thought they were four different things. And when I started reading, I thought, well, I already read this. Matthew talked about that. that, You have some tremendous reading comprehension. I guess so. That's great. I had no idea. That's cool. So um, I think this is important to lift up too. Sometimes we're teaching the kids and we're saying, listen, what are the f- first four books of the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We, yeah. Pastor, we know. Um, it might be better to teach them that the first four books of the New Testament are the gospel of 
Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, yes. the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John. Be- Telling the story. Exactly. Because yes. then they would have a better sense that there is some continuity there. They're the same form. Another word we might use is genre. They're the same genre of writing. Euangelion. They're the good news. They're the message that details for us the process by which Jesus Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, brought life into the world. From four points of view, exactly. four perspective, different points and within. probably written from different points of view right. for different audiences to right. some degree. But but the reason there we have three that are synoptic is because there was some common source material that most scholars feel uh, these guys were sharing, which is also important, um, that there was this uh, root narrative, uh, and probably verbal narrative, right. that was driving the early church that several of these gospel writers were able to capture um, it, which is really, really sort of bodes well in terms of making folks understand that this is an historical matter, not just spiritual. Okay, so we know that Jesus was being followed by yeah. they call in a good way, in a, <laughs> not stalked. Yeah, exactly. Not stalked. Although maybe you're right. Maybe the Pharisees and the Sadducees were kind of stalking. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And just the way you said that struck me. <laughs> So we know that Jesus was being followed by multitudes, and yes. he stands upon a mountainside, mm-hmm. the mount, and gives this important sermon. And I'm sure he taught and preached everywhere he went. So why is this one so special? Like, What was the purpose of such a, a sermon? Okay, great question. So early, earlier I talked about, I think I said the word way in the context of our conversation. Uh, when Jesus is talking with the disciples toward the end of his ministry, there's another place where he says, I am the way, Correct. the truth, and, and the, the life. life. Yes. This is an important word. Um, early on in the Christian movement, they understood themselves as that. They called themselves the way. So I, I want you to think about that, right? The, the group of them? Yes, the That's Christians. Like the, the bowling team was called the, the way. way. We were on the huh. way together. Oh. This, we, as Lutherans, we're in the southwestern Pennsylvania Synod, yes. right? Yes. Synod is an anglicized word that means on the way together. Hodos, yes, hodos is this way. Uh, and so Jesus had to say, let me give you the map quest. Let me give you the coordinates, where we're going to start from, where we're headed, and how we're going to get there. This is a wonderful thing. Okay, So especially in this day of GPS. Mm-hmm. So we can open up our GPS or we can put in Google Maps. And we say, I'm going to go down 279. No, I don't want to go down 279 because there's too much traffic. I'm going to go out this way. You know what? So we see this route. What Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount to a certain extent is laying out the route. Wow. How do we become children of God? How do we build the kingdom? Here are some blueprints, right? Here are some instructions. It's a wonderful text in that regard because it begins to define who it is we are to be, which is huge, right? Yes. And the the reason it is so huge, and don't lose sight of this, this is coming from the Son of God. It's not like this really wise person stood up and said, I would really like to share something with you. And we could all sit around like Muppets in the balcony and say, mm, that's really interesting. You know, or not, right? Yeah. No, no. We have to understand, this is the Son of God. This is the very incarnate, right, manifestation of the divine in this kingdom who was saying, this is what I really mean. Can you imagine being there? What that would be like? I can't imagine being there. I can't. Right. I can't because I don't want to I don't want to pretend to know how I might respond to some of this. Um, However, 
We say that. Can you imagine being there? Why, why can't we look at people and say, can you imagine having this book in your hand? Yeah. It's the same thing. It is. It's that important. It's yes. that important. Um, so I think, you know, when you see these folks, they, they have their Bibles, it was like the, the bindings cracked, it's all dog-eared, it's all underlined, they underlined the whole thing and real, because they realized it was all important. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You've seen, you've seen the, yeah. that's the kind of thing, you know, those folks get it. Those mm-hmm. folks get it, that this is that essential. It's it can be that impactful for our lives. A well-loved Bible. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mine looks like that. That's good. I know. That's good. I know. All right, so it starts with something called... The Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. And I believe that these are written because these are the, you ready? Mm-hmm. The attitudes we should be having. That's good. Yeah? I, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> we should be having. We should be having. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> okay. So tell me what the Beatitudes um, are. Give me some examples of what those are. They're, they're a promise of fulfillment. Oh, there you go with fulfillment yeah, again. Yeah, the promise of fulfillment. <laughs> I mean, God, it, through Christ, is speaking a word of hope into a very difficult predicament. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, and it, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Yeah. And I'm just firing some sure. of these off. Blessed are those eventually who are persecuted for, for righteousness sake, you know. Jesus is saying, look, I get it. This is not easy. This has not been a tiptoe through the tulips. Yeah. Um, you are, you have been, you will be, especially if you're my follower in a difficult position. Life is not easy. However, I am here to assure you that the struggle does not have the final word. Nice. Yeah, that, that there is a new day that is dawning. Uh, and the new day that is dawning will actually affect and color your perspective in every moment. So that in and through me, all of a sudden, even the challenges presently, will be transformed. I think that's also important to understand. It's not just future tense. It's not just when I come back and bring the kingdom, you'll see this. Jesus is saying, no, as we become uh, more and more intertwined as teacher and students, you're going to understand that comfort in the midst of the present predicament. I think that's important for people to hear. Uh, So often when folks question God, they say, why has God done this to me? Why has God brought this trouble upon me? What have I done wrong to deserve this? Those well, kinds of questions. Why do bad things happen, happen to, to good, good people? people. And those yeah. are all legitimate questions. Mm-hmm. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody's struggle. But what I can say is, first of all, th- those things are a result of a broken creation, a fallen creation, right. Right. a fallen world. Um, that's not God's doing. If you think God wills this bad upon you, you have a very, very serious misunderstanding of God. Yeah. What I can tell you is that look at the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. Because happy are those... Because that's actually the word, makarios. It's not just blessed, it's happy. Happy are those, yes, that mourn. And your initial reaction is, that's ridiculous. If you were a Sunday school teacher or an English teacher, either way, you say, oh, I don't know if I want to do that because this was sort of this cognitive distance that you can't be happy and mournful. Mm -hmm. But in Christ, right, it's not either or, in fact. You can be both at the same time. That's right. And yeah. The life-giving part of that is to know that in spite of what comes your way, mm-hmm. you are comforted when no matter what this, this crazy world yeah. throws at you, it, it doesn't matter. Um, you're comforted in those situations. If you understand that God is always there for you, right. if you turn away from that, then what do you have? Fear. Correct. Yeah. So, Loneliness. I mean, exactly. isolation. Uh, precisely the thing that's only going to make the situation worse. 
So the Beatitudes are not just for the people he was talking to back then. They stand true now, even more so, maybe. Well, and I think that that's also important to, to say. Um, the, the Beatitudes and the whole Sermon on the Mount certainly wasn't just for the people back then. It's also, my contention would be, it's also not just for Christians. Sure. Uh, it's not just for people within the Judeo-Christian tradition. Uh, I think this is it for everybody. And I don't mean to say that so that I can impose this on folks or force this upon people. Please don't misunderstand me. What I'm trying to say is I think that this is a recipe for a really rich world. Agreed. Uh, rich in the right way, not wealthy. I mean, or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I agree. I agree. Of all of the the beatitudes, how many are there? I couldn't tell you. Tell me. I don't know how to count them. Sorry, that's all right. <laughs> I, I know about it. I've never there, enumerated them. There's a bunch of them. Yeah, that wasn't a test question in seminary. <laughs> no, 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 darn it. Which one do you think is most impactful? Oh man, yeah. <laughs> that's such a tough question. Because they're you know, all good. Yeah, they are. They're all good. How about um? How about this one? How about blessed are the merciful for they will, they will receive mercy. Hmm. Yeah. I think uh, mercy is at the heart of everything. Mercy isn't pity. Mercy is more closely connected with compassion. And I think compassion is at the heart of Jesus. And I think compassion has to be at the heart of the Christian. And I think the, the, the great mystery of this is getting folks to understand that that compassion and mercy is not weakness. It's so critical. Uh, The compassion and mercy is not about losing everything that's important to you, but gaining everything that means anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that, yeah, I, I, you know, if if I had to pin it down and tomorrow you'll ask me to be something else, I'll (laughs) give you that. But at the moment, I mean, that really is the heart of the matter. And there's this really critical point in the, in the new Testament where Jesus clearly says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I know. That's one of your favorites. It is. And because it's the high water mark. Right. It's the point at which Jesus says, I'm moving away from this former tradition that, that didn't get us where we needed to be. Sure. Um, the language is intentional. Um, and no more will we put the lamb on the altar um, because I am the lamb. And in and through my sacrifice, I hope you get a glimpse of intense graciousness. Uh, so intense, in fact, that it reshapes the way you approach your neighbor. And yeah. and we've talked about this before. The idea that just because compassion doesn't mean um, and mercy doesn't mean that you tolerate inappropriate behavior, you tolerate abuse, you tolerate putting yourself in a situation that can harm you or other people. Mm-hmm. So those types of of living guidelines, I think, are critically important, especially. In today's day, right when all this stuff's going on, yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, it just—I it, don't know why we shy away from this stuff, but when we have little ones, I mean, we have rules in our house. Right. Um, go to the pool in the summertime and post it right by the pool. There's this list of rules: no diving in the three-foot section, don't yeah. splash. You, you know, what I'm sure. About. Why are they there? Yeah, to keep people safe. <laughs> that's right. To keep yeah. us all a little bit happier. That's right. And all that's great, but then we get this sort of. Um, moral religious instruction and folks oh i don't want to hear that i don't know i mean it's still for our own good yeah Yeah. right Mm -hmm. right the beatitudes are there and then the remainder of the sermon has all these teaching about things like teaching about salt and light and law and anger even which is Mm -hmm. really interesting 
I know. Yeah, I love that one. Is there a pattern to how these are organized? Because they seem a little random to me. No, it's it's not random. It, there is a pattern, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's a you know, it's a retrieval of the Levitical law, the Torah, okay. and the reshaping of that sacred sacred edict that was around uh, back then. He's retrieving laws that would have been known to very very well known to the people, and he's reshaping them so that they can see practically how he is fulfilling the law. How he is bringing cool. the law and the prophets to fulfillment. So I don't think it's random at all. Um, and as a matter of fact, I don't think it's random for us. I think to this day, when you hear um, somebody say, an eye for an eye, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? Yeah, it's the Old Testament. So then what's our response to that? Hmm, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> because we know that stuff. The golden rule, we know that. Where does that come from? It's all Sermon on the Mount. Right. But it's also... Uh, restatement of Leviticus. Huh. Yeah, it was there. I mean, it was there. It's not like Jesus is just pulling this stuff out of thin air. Uh, he's taking the tradition that was known, well known, uh, and reframing it. Yeah. So it says in the Bible that you often and you often reference reference this. Do you think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? And I heard the to fulfill the prophecies mm-hmm. when I'm studying this, rather than fulfill the law. Prophecies, which seem different they are. to me. Yeah, when, when Jesus talks about the, although Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy, make no mistake about it. Yes. I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, but when Jesus is talking about the law and the prophets, what he is essentially referencing is the Bible as it was. Okay. That's what it is. That's the Bible they would have had in their hands. So when he talks about the law and the prophets, he's saying, our Bible. Uh, I have not come to abolish our Bible, our sacred work. Uh, I've come to fulfill, bring it to completion, to be more consistent. He's going to polish it up a little bit so that it makes sense to the people of that day Mm -hmm. and to move them forward. Yeah, it has a, a more significant impact upon their lives. Right. Yeah. Because the law, I think, before... Well, the, when they were under Pharisee rule, they were oppressed. And the the law, right, gave them guidelines inside that, but it was still the law. It was right? the law. Um, and I don't even know that, I mean, I hear what you're saying. So I don't even know that they would necessarily see themselves as being oppressed. They, really? This was, yeah. I mean, those laws were just a part of being the people of the covenant. That's uh, what you're right. They yeah. were, that was their identity. Uh, and, you know, it, it set them apart. There was no mystery about who was Jewish and who wasn't mm-hmm. in the ancient world because those practices were so distinctive. So, you know, they probably said, this is who we are, so this is what we're going to do. And if we mess up, right? And they did. Uh, there's going to be somebody there to help us understand we that we did. We get, exactly yeah. right. So the mercy piece probably wasn't there. Uh, if you would have gotten caught in adultery before Jesus was around to He's, save you, you probably got stoned. You got stoned, yeah. yeah. Um, hmm, I guess when you look back with with eyes from this time, when, mm-hmm. for me, to look back, I keep thinking, well, I wouldn't tolerate that. <laughs> you <laughs> don't have a choice. Yeah, you're, I know. Because, well, and it's because community was so important. Mm-hmm. You know, I... That's the thing we miss nowadays. Like, we just, we'll go out. You know, if if one group of friends dissolves, we'll just go get another one. We don't, sure. you know. Yeah. If we leave one social club, then we'll just go to the one down the street. Yeah. It, it wasn't that way. I mean, the the importance of connection 
was essential. It was your social security net. It was your sense of identity. Your food supply. Your, I mean, we go on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We go on and on. This, this American independence that we yeah. sort of enjoy and becomes so much a part of our personalities is a more recent um, invention. I, ha- I have to remember that when I look back. To not use my point of view looking back, but to take the point of view of the yeah. character of the person I'm reading. The yeah. historians, they what do they call that? Historically anachronistic. We can't take our <laughs> categories and uh, you know impose them upon a previous generation. It just doesn't it just work. Just a thing. It doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. There are many common phrases that come out of these writings. I was thinking of some of the the language that we use, the the metaphors and such that we use. Okay. And and someone will say, um, "Oh, that person's the salt of the earth." Yeah, that's right. Uh, Zarman on the mob. <laughs> That's it, right? That's right. Um, yeah. Right. Committing adultery in the heart. Do you remember when Jimmy Carter did that? He said, I lusted in my heart. Mm-hmm. That caused all kinds of problems. That's yeah. also... That was Jimmy Carter's problem. He just knew the Bible too well, that guy. <laughs> he did. Man. <laughs> to a fault. Well, yeah, because he would lay those quotes out there. And, and you know, folks were like, what's he talking about? But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy um, Carter's fantastic. Another one guy. was, uh, when your left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Mm-hmm. That's that's often just a term used when there's lack of systematization in a right. in a situation. Mm-hmm. All of that comes from this sermon. Yeah, nice. All those images are drawn. As I was reading through it, that's what I noticed that there are all kinds of phrases from the Sermon on the Mount that we use in everyday language. Yeah, and I guess we don't make that connection back to probably don't. That depends awesome. on where you learn them, right? I suppose. Yeah. So what are all the parts of this sermon supposed to teach us overall? Is there an overarching message? Like, what can we do with these teachings in our present day? I mean, it has some interesting notes about divorce. thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. And that we are not to worry. This is one of my favorite parts. It says, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Okay. Today's trouble is enough for is today. Enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's it. That's the message. Yeah, I think enough is the message. Yeah. There's enough. You're enough. There's enough. The world is enough. Yeah. Uh, you don't need to race around and consume to be happy. That in this moment, there is enough. Um, that's the overarching message. Do not look around at your neighbor, uh, whether it's your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's donkey or your neighbor's ground and say, what can I get from them? Yes. Stop that. The coveting. Uh, yeah. Don't, don't sit around and run people down and pretend like you're running them down because you have a better insight about who they are when the reality is you're just jealous. Right. Yeah. Um, because you're enough and they're enough. And it doesn't have to be either or, uh, but you have to see the world as a whole. And you have to be able to see God participating in every aspect of creation in order to truly come to a sense of peace. And that's the key. It is. That's where joy is found. Mm-hmm. That's and that's, I mean, if you're asking me what the overarching message is, that really is it. I'm, I'm going to give you a perspective and I'm going to give you a way of life that when lived intentionally and sincerely and genuinely can ultimately lead to the shalom, yeah. that kind of peace, that right. kind of wholeness, yeah. right? That we all have been looking for. What, yeah. And you talk about gift. What a gift. Ugh. It's, a, it's an amazing thing when your head stops spinning, mm-hmm. and when the hamster wheel stops running, right. and you are able to just be. Correct. That no matter what the world throws at you, you're okay anyway. Right. That's an amazing place and to I be. And I think that the early Christians got it. 
Not, not to be morbid, but when you read some of these accounts of like the early martyrs, and you're reading about their moments uh, before entering the lion's den, the, the, it wasn't resignation, but it really was just this sense of, uh, it, it's going to be okay. You know, well, it this, already is okay. This Savior matters. That's and right. has done the Savior's work, and I am currently and will be saved. It's amazing. <laughs> and to believe that to the extent that you can enter into that kind of situation, right? Yeah. Having kept your cool is a testament to how powerful this ethic really can be. I've met people like that. Yeah, so have I. That are very, very inspiring. Absolute calm in a storm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all right. Yeah. And I have a dear friend who says all the time, when you'll say, it's going to be okay, and she always says, uh, honey, it already is okay. Correct. We just don't recognize it. Amen. It's I agree. That's yeah. a wonderful piece of wisdom. I know. Yeah. One very special part of this sermon is that uh, Jesus teaches us how to pray, and we have a podcast specifically about that on the Lord's Prayer. So I didn't realize that the Lord's Prayer was part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's right, tucked away. Right, it's right there. I know. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. know. Yeah. Who'd have thunk, yeah. huh? Yeah, so. I guess I understand why you've mentioned that. Um, I think you told the story of a, a pastor who stood up for his sermon on a Sunday, read the Sermon on the Mount, and says, that's it. That's yeah, it was it specifically gets. the Beatitudes. That's exactly Was it right. the Beatitudes? I, <sighs> I, was, I mean, I don't know how many times you can get away with it as a pastor, but the, I think he made his point. He yeah. essentially said, I can't do any better than this. Wow. Think on this. God bless you. I mean, it, it, I, and honestly, I think it's fantastic. So true. Yes. Yeah. I've read and reread the Sermon on the Mount during the preparation for this podcast, and I tell you, I think we've only just begun this discussion. So I think our next podcast, we should dive in a little deeper into the Beatitudes because those are the attitudes we should be having. Mm -hmm. See, I like that. I think it sounds good to me. Blessed are those who dive in. (laughs) For they will sink deeper into God's mercy. There it is. There it is. I just made that one up. That's not a real one. That's not a real one. I just made that up. (laughs) It's really good. All right, I have one final question. Okay. All right, so when Jesus was in his early ministry, it was in 28 CE. Okay. Okay? He's rejected in Jerusalem as, at Passover and retreat, retreats into the wilderness. Okay, I'd like to take a little side path here because that acronym CE kind of messes me up. Okay. Whatever happened to BC and AD, like before Christ and Anno Domini? I think they're still out there. But um, anytime you have these abbreviations, um, there are certain academic institutions that begin to define appropriate usage. Um, and that's exactly what happened. I think that um, in the halls of academia and in, in higher education, before the common era and common era became more accepted usage of BC and AD. And is it because... Um, Folks wanted to, to move away from the before Christ language? Uh, probably. Wow. Well, so when's the demarcation? That, that's the it's demarcation. It's still the same time. Yeah. It's still the same time, uh, but the categorization has, has they, changed. They took the Christian bent out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, that mm-hmm. makes, well, it doesn't make sense to me, but it makes sense yeah, I mean, it's, to the general it, public. It, yes, and, and, and exactly. In academia, because they can assume any, they're all Christians. Right. Right. This is one of those things. Do we need to make... I'm speaking personally now. Sure. You, there's no need to get wound up about this. It really is okay. I, I mean, know. This is not going to... I hope folks understand that 
you know, people get so spun up on, you know, whether Starbucks has a cross on their <laughs> Easter or whatever. Seriously, <laughs> but, get your presents. Uh, well, it's, it's exactly. Right. <laughs> I really, honestly, don't think that the the before common era and common era thing is going to detract from our. What the point is? Yeah. Instead of my suggestion would be instead of getting wound up about that, um, take the energy you would have used to get fired up about the uh, BCAD thing and put it into reading the reading the Sermon on the Mount. Well, that makes, there you go. Yeah, Excellent sure. advice. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Pastor Dan. For thank offering. you. This has been fantastic. <laughs> yes, I love this. Yeah. And really, the, the, there's so much more we can talk about here. I, I think we're I, going to. And I think, you know, even in terms of the Sermon on the Mount, um, I hope folks can understand just as my, you always ask me, do I have a concluder or a sure. parting shot? And, yeah. um, you know, when you hear Jesus say, you have heard it said you won't commit adultery, but I'm telling you, if you look at another woman you've with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. I hope people understand that what Jesus is really doing is not putting out there some kind of impossible project mm-hmm. that, you know, that that was a part of the Lutheran tradition for a long time. This is so impossible for us. All, all it's really meant to do is drive us to God's grace because we'll, as we read the Sermon on the Mount, we'll realize how incapable we are of being Christian. So we'll just have to rely on forgiveness. Well, boy, is that a cop out? Yeah. yeah I, I think that we do have to take this stuff seriously. Take anger seriously. Take lust seriously. Uh, take possession seriously. Take generosity seriously. Uh, what is it that drives it within your spirit? What is it that keeps you from it within your spirit? Get below the surface, dig around a little bit, and come into a deeper relationship, not only with yourself, but also with the God that dwells within you, and you will have a fuller life. It's a promise. It is a promise. Yeah. 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 That uh, many of us have seen fulfilled, if you will. We're all happy about that. We've only touched the surface, yeah. and this is truly a guide for Christian life. And I'm in. Okay, Amen. Good. Uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. So give us some closing thoughts. Um, read it. Read it again, yeah. and then read it one more time. And then get out there and read some commentaries. No, that's true. Yeah. You're, you, it's so many layers here uh, that it's well worth peeling a few of them away. Mackie, uh, the Bible project. Oh, Tim Mackie. Yeah, Tim Mackie has a tremendous. Yes. Uh, if you go to YouTube and check it out, highly recommend. He has a tremendous treatment of the Sermon on the Mount. He he's got a cool perspective. He's coming at it as a Hebrew scholar, right? right? Which is really cool. Um, yeah. So there, again, I mean, there's just tons and tons of resources out there that are well worth dwelling in, so that this can become a bigger part of your life. And what's the worst thing you could hap- that could happen is you get a little closer to God and you get a little happier. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, the Sermon on the Mount is, is essential to me. I mean, it's part of the reason I'm here. I remember all the way back in, in my candidacy process, before I was even a pastor, and I was interviewing with all these elder pastors. They're, they're deciding whether or not you can even get started, right? Yes. And I remember distinctly somebody asking me, what is your favorite book of the Bible? What's, and again, it's like the impossible question. Uh-huh. And you want to say Luke because the Christmas the story, narrative. oh, yeah. it's so nice. But I, I had to say Matthew because of this text wow. and the association that so many other theologians, Bonhoeffer himself, right? The whole cheap grace and costly grace distinction grew out of sermon on that. So, um, yeah, essential stuff, but we'll get to more of it next time around. So please come back and join us. And in the meantime, if you think about your own question, shoot us an email. Sure. Sure. Shoot us an email. Uh, friendly reminder. Yeah. We're in the heart of the year. So Saturday evening at six o'clock, Sunday morning at eight and 1030 with Sunday school in between at nine 15. 
lots of good things going on at Bethel. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.